0: like a whole it has been two years in season three as we trudge along into all of our favorite albums artists and uh other things that we love about those associated artists and other albums uh i would say this season uh is now inappropriately called run run the gamut because there's been a lot of walking through the gamut. Uh, maybe you would say even crawling through this gamut, but I want to say that three men in their early 40, 40s with uh, nine to five day jobs, it is hard to sometimes break away and make sure that we record these things rapid fire Uh, We always appreciate all of our diehard true hearts out there that have stuck with us for this length of a season. And the only reason I'm monologuing at this point is because Eric brought it up to me the other day that it's been two years since season three has dropped. And I thought that we'd be way more productive during the work at home pandemic days. Um, But somehow I think Steve had a baby during that time. And uh, Eric got a promotion, and I'm still uh, doing the Willie Loman life. So, such is life. And that's enough out of Mark, because that's who I am. But. I also am joined with my two dearest soulmates and friends. First, let's hear from Stephen Earl.
1: Yes, nine to five jobs, nine to five jobs in addition to all of this podcasting. And we still get the episodes out there, folks. You know, for a while, we tried to jump on the Patreon train. We still do. If you're one of our few describers, by all means, don't cancel your Patreon. But I, I realize that if you're like myself, I, I don't really want to subscribe. I, I want to more tip the people. You know, sometimes I, I bank a bunch of podcasts up or sometimes I discover a new one. And I want to give them a little bit of money right then. But I don't want to have to sign on for a monthly obligation. And the Patreon model, well, it's, I, don't, I don't think it works for us. So what I have discovered is Kofi.com. Here's Cal
0: Worthington at his
1: dog spot. Or pronounced Ko-Fi.com. That's right, folks. Ko-fi.com. That's K-O-F-I.com forward slash pod like a whole. We'll have a link in the show notes and in all of our socials from now on. Now, you see the difference between Patreon and Coffee.com is at ko you can just give us a couple dollars whenever you see fit. Like if you see that, uh, you know, the next episode the band Garbage and you're a big Garbage fan. And we blow your minds with four hours of garbage talk? Well, maybe you want to give us a little bit of money. Just go to ko fi.com forward slash pod like a That's coffee.com forward slash pod like a And you can donate there. My name is Steven, and I am part of the Pod Like a Whole team. The down payment healer arrange. Get a 10 day trial exchange. Go see cow, go see cow, go see cow.
2: Wow, Steve, Steve, Steve puts in about a couple hours on the campaign trail and uh, canvassing for some of our local candidates, he he's about the huckster voice. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, at the end of that, I hope that you just uh, are somehow able to splice in go see Cal, go see Cal, go see Cal, because um, that's what it felt like. And I <laughs> have a lot of props to that. Was And who you just heard from, uh, the, the scholar of the bunch, um, I think our... Um, He's kind of our, also our legal team. Um, he makes sure that all facts have been uh, appropriately stated uh-huh. um, and undersigned, et cetera, et cetera. This is my dear friend, Eric.
2: Thank you. Thank you. And yes, you're right, Mark. Sometimes you run the gamut. Sometimes you crawl through it. Sometimes you just cop a squat. You sit down and right in the middle of the gamut, your friends gather around, you go over your daily briefings. And I'm happy to, to fill that role. In, in in your gamut as well as yours, Stephen.
0: Ah, yes, I love it when you fill my gamut. Um. So, on tonight's episode, we are going to be discussing a San Diego band that had their heyday, I'd say, in the two thousands. Man, like the Ots. Let's let's call it the the two thousand Uh A local band from San Diego. If you're local to that neck of the woods um and instead of kind of this Jeff Spicoli kind of surfer lifestyle that you would imagine uh they're actually pretty dour uh they're walking along the pier at night staring off into the abyss and the abyss is staring back at them into their hearts the black heart procession uh it was Eric's pick we're going to talk about uh their fourth record called Amor del Tropico uh where they instead of doing uh, saw music with Pianos uh very reminiscent of a Nick Cave record. Uh, they decided to throw some bossa nova and some samba beats into this murder mystery. And we're going to be talking about that. Uh, it's a very intriguing record, and it was picked by our one and only, the incomparable Eric. But before we get into what we're going to be discussing, we'd like to do a few other housekeeping bits. It's not just you don't come here to listen to us wax poetic about every track known to man uh, from some of your favorite artists and bands. We also like to recommend the things that have been consuming our everyday life uh, besides our jobs, our families, and this podcast. We do actually have time for other consumer media out there, and we like to call it plug like a whole. So I'll start. My f- plug for this particular month, week, by week whatever this episode drops, friend of the show, uh, definitely a hero of the show, has also launched his own podcast. And that podcast is called Renegade Roundtable with Jello Biafra. If in progress is eyes once upon Is only three episodes in. Uh, a man who I have always been. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of the punk Fred Schneider from B 52s. And so like I always equated his uh, campiness uh, with the dead Kennedys, of course, and just how he would uh, just like to stir the pot on a lot of things. Um, so he was always a novelty for me. Um, and not like necessarily a hero. Um, I think he is quickly morphing into a hero of what he's contributed to the world of punk music and politics being extremely up to the know in what's going on in the world. Um, not a conspiracy theorist. He definitely comes in with some facts uh, the first episode, he had Al Jorgensen from Ministry, which was a two-hour hootenanny. Uh, those two relationship, friendship is as strong, if just a little bit st- less strong than the three of our friendship, that's for sure. Um, he also had Mojo Nixon, who seems also like a, a Yosemite Sam, Hanna-Barbera cartoon, um, but he, he was a lot of fun. And then another episode is with a guy who's steeped into the politics. What I really like about it, it's a walk down memory lane and a little bit of what's wrong with the world today. I love it. It's a great podcast. That is my recommendation, Renegade Roundtable with Jello Biafra. Well, I saw you sitting there. I was trying not to stare. I would not you sure.
2: so glad that that we're all listening to that and I, I remember buying his spoken word alternative tentacle albums in like the early aughts uh for a, like a little political monologuing from jello and his spongebob voice but uh uh now he now he does it on on a podcast with uh with uh you know and talk music too and a little bit of like that like indie punk uh scene from the 80s and and it's it's just fun it's great i, I highly recommend yeah. it as well
1: yeah I've always had time for jello i i actually i <laughs> i was a dead candy's poser in high school I bought a dead candy shirt before I think I ever listened to him and then I listened to them and decided I liked them, which was a that was a good gamble uh I don't remember how old I was but I definitely bought the shirt before I even listened to the band and I've celebrated them for the most of my adult life and uh, yeah jello's uh his spoken word albums I've, I've given a once or twice, listen to some of them His work with the Melvin's. I I saw him live with the Melvin's once. That was fun. Um, always, always loved the guy, but yeah, he, he shines with DK of course. And I think I've espoused my love for the band Lard. All of us love Lard on this podcast. And, uh, just, uh, yeah, just that weird, the campiness with the satire with the, uh, miss, it's still a little mischievous, but then also, you know, kind of scary live wire the guys, a awesome blend of all this stuff. And he's, he's got it to this day. Yeah. So yeah. Listening to him talk, he's, he's got the gift of gab is the thing. And also, um, unlike many of his contemporaries, I don't think he dabbled too much in uh, riddling his brain with any kind of drugs. Um, not to say he's been straight edge, but like, he's never been a guy known to, you know, fall off the wagon or have any issues And uh, I I think it really shows he's, he's got, he's, he's quick. So it's a good podcast. Yeah,
0: it is. Yeah. He's real quick on his feet and um, he keeps up with his research. I mean, literally I came for the uh, the chuckle of hearing him and uh, Al Jorgensen talk and just, you know, having that back and forth, and then when they really get into their political discussion, not only is Jello like incredibly up to date. I mean, I would say that even Al is. You know, it's just it's refreshing to hear some of your heroes who you artistically uh, appreciate, but when they come out and also smartly talk about you know uh, things that matter globally, it it definitely shows that they're more than just a you know a, an artist appreciate that
2: yeah sure so i'll just make mine real quick here so i'm gonna pair a reading plug with a music plug Paperbacks of a comic book called The Department of Truth. It's written by James Tinney and the Fourth. Artist is M. Simmons. Simmons. And it's uh, it's it's basically like very timely, uh, where there's this uh, the, the government uh, agency that looks into conspiracy theories because there's some weird force in the world that if enough people believe in them, they become reality so they've got to like nip them in the bud before they get bad and um very very timely and they go through the history of conspiracy theories you know from the satanic panic to um back when the uh you know the the uh, the horrible uh the the Jewish conspiracy theories where uh Christians were were afraid of them and and um anyways that's that's a it's a great book beautiful art um and just like i said very timely um, and what dropped last week, music-wise, that I enjoyed reading this to, was a group called Soft Crash. Soft Crash is made up of two Berlin industrial uh, uh, guys. Um, they're, I think, they're both Italian. Uh, Pablo Bazzi and Phase um, Fatale is the is the name of the other artist. This is a collaboration project, and um, it is some of the most sonically interesting. Uh, Music I've heard in a while for just instrumental, like four on the floor, uh, noisy dance tracks, but um, just impeccably produced uh, and meant meant for those like echoey, uh, cobbled underground Berlin clubs. It's, it's a really cool album. So Soft Crash, your last everything.
0: Nice. Uh, my one question, Eric, whenever you come out with these recommendations and... Uh, the terminology of four on the floor uh, comes out. I always wonder, where are you uh, when you are listening uh, to these types of tracks? Are you headed to work and just, you know, working it out on your steering wheel as you're driving in? Or, like, are you at home? <laughs>
2: sometimes. sometimes. I'm not reading comics at work, so that was in my backyard. But, yeah, sometimes i got one of those cool stand-up desks in my office at work, so... Sometimes yeah. nobody's coming in. I've I got, I got a, I got a foot stomping that nobody can see as I stand and answer emails and listen to this, this stuff. Uh,
0: that's awesome.
2: Yeah. But anyways, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, listen, uh,
0: I listen. mean, is it going through the entire office or are you wearing headphones?
2: No, 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 no. I have my own little office inside a bigger office. So,
0: Oh, look at you. That's Milton right. Bradley over here. Apparently <laughs> pulling that's the hi hat right. on me.
2: That's right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, no, I, I privacy of my own. Of my <laughs> my own
0: office has an office and that's where I'm at.
2: That's right. Yeah. The privacy of my, own, of my own room, yes. So, anyways, Department of Truth, soft crash. I'll
0: put it on the radar. Uh Steven. Any any plugs? Any recommendations?
1: Yeah, I got a few things, a few avenues to go down here. Um, yeah, about offices, you know, a few years ago, I fought big time to uh, my, my mentor, if you will, retired and I took his job over and I was like, I want his office. It was like a big deal to me. I just wanted that guy's office. I, looking back, I don't know why I cared so much. And the owner was like, yeah, sure. Steve, I know. I, me- I remember specifically what he says. Like, I know you like to spread all your papers out and stuff and, you know, you get loud. Good. Go ahead. It's like, great. So I get, get this office to myself and the pandemic hit Then we all worked home for two years. And when we came back to work, many of our people are either gone or they've gone full remote and I could have it like a different office any day of the week. Now when I'm there, there's no one there. It's like me and three other people. So, uh, I got what I wanted and then reality rendered it absolutely meaningless like three weeks later. So some kind of metaphor there. I don't know what it is, but uh, very impressed with you. The with it's your dual of life,
0: I, I have no yeah. idea. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you got what you wanted, but it means nothing. Are you happy? Yeah. Um, like that's you know you could, that's a that's a lot of record releases. Yeah, um, that's
0: true. Yeah.
1: So uh, let's see a couple things here. Uh, you know, a ton of albums came out this year. Don't really have any new ones that I are lighting my hair on fire um a couple of things i, I watched one one of which are here we go here we go here we are uh you know throughout October I visited many uh Halloween esque movies and now that it's uh you know November started i'm I'm well into my Christmas movies now which is a problem that I have but uh it, I watched a lot of John Carpenter, you know, usual suspects. I watched Nightbreed again. That was fun. Um, I watched some old universal horror movies, the classics. Good times. Good times in October. But uh, one thing I really got into was that uh, that that new Halloween movie. I watched that one. And it was divisive I, to some people, I guess. I don't know what they were expecting. But uh, Halloween ends, I liked it quite a bit. I was very satisfied with it. My wife and I went and saw it as a date night film. Uh, I would say that an hour and 15 minutes of it was not a Halloween movie that you usually expect. And the last half hour was a Halloween movie that you'd expect. And it still bought uh, for the, the third time. It brought closure to the Michael Myers saga. That uh, was, was a good time. Eric, you watched it too, right?
2: Yeah. Here, 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 here. That was, it was, it was a good ending that that trilogy uh the David Gordon Green Danny McBride trilogy of Halloweens i think are special movies i think um you know i think they're they're each kind of hit and miss in their own way but mostly hit and um i think they build to some place that Halloween has never gone before and um yeah and i and i there's something very creepy about a hibernating michael myers uh so that uh, Uh, exploring in shadows un unsearched before it was, it was great
1: that the David Gordon green and Danny McBride duo and all of their uh, cohorts. I'll, I'll always make time for anything they do. I've gone on record on the show about that before the Danny, Danny McBride helped write these movies. And one place I think it shows in this one is, did you catch that the bullies that pick on the main character, they're not jocks from the uh, football team or the basketball team or even the track team. They're actually members of the band. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> I found that to be hilarious. And uh, for you, Eric, I mean that probably probably kind of you kind of live vicariously through that. You know,
2: right? Could've... Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's put the put the trombone down and punch some nerd's face in is what I should have
1: that was fun. That, that led all that Halloween watching led me to the end of the month when I watched The uh, the Shining again for the first time in a few years, which is uh, absolutely uh, still a, a masterpiece of cinema. That's, that's not news here. Hold on. And I followed it up finally with Dr. Sleep. And I, I watched all of Dr. Sleep. It took me like three days because you know how it is. It's hard to sit and watch a whole movie when you're a fucking dad, life, or a parent. And uh, I know the artistic vision of the auteurs was not to spread that movie out over three days, but whatever. So I got done with it and I, I enjoyed Dr. Sleep. Um, I don't know if I'll ever watch it again, but uh, I like that. They, they stuck some other Stephen King isms in there. And that got me to finally get off my ass and finish the last uh, dark tower book. I never read. I read the main series, but I never went back and read The uh, Wind Through the Keyhole. And uh, I've read about 280 pages of The Wind Through the Keyhole, which is uh, The Dark Tower 4.5. And I enjoy it very much so far. It's got that modern Stephen King breeziness that I, I like. I've actually, I, I haven't read all of his more recent books, but when I dive in, I've noticed he kind of just. He just, he sticks to the, you know, he's always been meat and potatoes, right? But in his modern work, it's it's still good, but he really only gives you what you need and keeps things moving. And I think he does that in this uh, this uh Dark Tower book and I'm, I'm really enjoying it so far. So my wrecks here are Halloween ends, which led me to revisit The Shining, which everybody should watch The Shining again, which led me to watch Doctor Sleep, which I suggest watching one time. And then um, I'm about a, a third of a way through is a Stephen King book in the dark tower series. And I'm enjoying it. So there you go.
0: That is a journey. That is a journey. I'll start with Halloween ends. Um, yeah, I agree. Dr. Sleep is not going to light up any, uh, AFI top 100 lists, but it is one of those movies that I felt probably, or even a book that didn't need to be made. Um, but they somehow, well, Stephen King somehow like made it all work, and even more connected to some of the old Stephen King universe. Um, so yeah, I mean it was it was good, and uh, production wise, in terms of the, what the movie looks like, um, it doesn't look very high production wise in the sense of a theatrical. There is some good cinematography at times, but it really did feel that a CBS movie of the week, um, but. I mean, it wasn't bad. I liked it. I liked it uh I know that's not a glowing review um but it 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 uh exceeded my expectations, which were set at low so that is our uh plugs, and we also like to see if keeping up to date with the artists and bands we've talked about is a segment we called the, the newswire uh well, that's the- what we
1: call it that's what we call it. What is it? Of-
0: the, the the Nine Inch Newswire, uh, the no. bu- the Bully Bulletin, what do we call it?
1: It's supposed to be called, you know, did you hear about this?
0: Oh, did have you hear about, about this? this? That's <laughs> yeah. right. That's our segment. Did you hear about this? God. It's Steven's uh, <laughs> segment where he talks to the band. Uh, so <laughs> Steven, what do you have to say to the guitar player this week?
1: Yeah, no, you know, there's a, a couple things i wonder if you guys heard about. Uh, one of which, you know, it dawns upon me. I should have mentioned it in my recs, my plugs. But uh, the band Dead Cross, Dead Cross with uh, Mike Patton and uh, Dave Lombardo of Slayer fame and uh, some guy from the Locust and another guy, they released their second album. It's, uh, I don't remember the name of it right now, but it's the second album
0: it's by. It's just two. It's just like the band we talk about. They like to number them. Yep, Dead Cross 2.
1: So Dead Cross, I tell you, folks, uh, did you hear it? Did you hear this?
0: I did. Upon first listen, uh, and we'll talk about Mike Patton in a further episode, a future episode, rather. And just getting into Dead Cross at first, I was like, yeah, this is fine. It's a Mike Patton project that's also in the and the other bin. Um And then this one came along and I was a little bit more intrigued on first listen, but on second listen is where it clicked. I love it when music kind of clicks um, and we're going to talk about clicking music as well in tonight's episode. Um, but Dead Cross, it's old school thrash mixed with Mike Patton, Faith No More mixed with uh, some old school hardcore punk. It's uh, It's a good one. It's a banger.
1: Yeah, I dig it. Um, I'm always going to show up for Dave Lombardo. I was really excited when I saw Testament earlier this year, and I forgot Dave Lombardo's in Testament right now, and I was watching them, and I was like, that drummer is great. Holy shit, that's Dave Lombardo. Uh, I love love the guy. It it reminds me that one of my plugs tonight was supposed to be the 33 and a third book of uh, The Making of Rain and Blood by Slayer. But I forgot to mention it. Anyhow, Dave Lombardo's in that book because he plays the drums. So, Dead Cross is good. I suggest it, and so does Mark. Eric will listen to it one of these days. Oh, other things going on out there, you know. You know, I was talking about talking about the Dark Tower and the Circle of Life. Circle of Life also means people die. Two deaths, two deaths this week that happened. I'm an artist that we've talked about before, but did you guys hear about? the people that died, I shouldn't be flipping. I shouldn't be flipping about it. I'll just say that unfortunately today, uh, the, uh, Mimi Parker from low, the band low, she passed away, uh, cancer, ovarian cancer. Uh, she's married. Uh, her and her husband were in the band. They, they were that band from the start with, uh, I believe another musician that would have been playing, uh, I don't know, bass or something. Um, Anyhow, she passed away. It's very sad. Uh, Low is a band in this household. We are uh, fans of. Uh, when I think the first music, live music, definitely that uh, one of our kids would have saw the older one or heard was a uh, my wife and I went and saw Low, and he she was very pregnant, like eight months or something. So at that point, you can hear the music in utero, and uh, their Christmas album is always a, a big one in this house. Anyhow. Uh, rest in peace uh Ms. parker and uh, also uh takeoff from the from the migos trio did you, did you see that did you see that this rapper takeoff died
0: yeah uh i don't follow migos but uh i it seemed like it was a senseless you know shooting and that's what's most unfortunate
1: yeah it was it's, it's a bummer and uh obviously yeah, I was, I, I, I kind of, just, I was always, you know, Migos they had some radio hits, which I found appealing. Um, it's a they, they really made a, a genre. What was it, Eric? Did they make trap popular? What was their thing?
2: I don't know. The beats weren't really trap, but like, yeah, I think they ushered in kind of what we know now as radio rap, for better or for worse. But I, I think they were they, they're talented, and 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 takeoff had definitely some skills. Uh, but like that kind of sing-songy um not really like rapping like full bars and verses but just kind of going back and forth between rappy and sing-songy um i don't know i'm sure there's a name for it but um you know i, I think credit where credit's due they they, they move the needle on on a uh, modern rap definitely
1: yeah no they, they're definitely there a few years ago they were couldn't escape them that's that's too bad too bad on both counts uh, some, some more positive news, some, some more positive news on the, end. Uh, oh, here we are. Uh, did you guys hear live free and stay lit? That's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> what killer Mike had to say about his new solo single talking that shit, talking that shit by killer Mike. That's the new single. Eric, did you listen to talking that shit?
2: I did. I did.
1: What'd you think about it?
2: I mean, it's fine. I mean, Killer Mike's uh, great, I mean, he's a great rapper, um, uh, you know, politically, uh, I feel like, you know, he and, and LP get into a zone of stuff I can relate to that, that, that definitely moves me. But, you know, sometimes when he, when he's left to his own devices, um, you know, he's a little, uh, uh, you know, he's a little libertarian, uh, uh, uh capitalist, um,
1: focused. Um, I don't know. Yeah, no, he definitely seems,
0: does he, uh, endorse Brian Kemp in that song?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if he's endorsed Brian Kemp, but he, you know, he's the guy that's like, I'll go on on NRA TV to just get my message out about, you know, and, and, you know, I think he's got a point about, that's a different point about gun ownership when you're, when you're a black American in this society, when, police are waging a, a war against your people. I, I, I think there's a, I think he's got a decent point there, but going on NRA TV is not the best look. I mean, uh, Killer Mike's got some, got some, you know, some politics. Some of them, I think I, I I'm empathetic to, and uh, you know, some are a little bit too, too far to that, that direction.
1: Yes. I think that sometimes he forgets that not everybody he is preaching to has a, uh, the same income he does. And I'll leave it at that. Um, I don't know, but, but anyhow.
2: it's good that you brought it up because like, it's the first thing he's kind of done outside of run the jewels after making some, you know, kind of disappointing public appearances. So, um, yeah. Interesting. But anyways, moving on,
1: moving on, moving on. uh, Also what's moving on the, uh, the Wu-Tang and American Saga uh, show. Uh, It's going on for the third and final season. Eric, are you glad to hear that?
2: You know what? I am. I am uh, almost done with season one of that. I I'm I'm way behind, but I actually really enjoyed uh, season one. I, you know, I don't think it's, fully factual. I definitely think it's uh, a dramatization. It's meant to be entertaining television about growing up in these projects in Staten Island, but I think the people they get to play are the biggest personalities in Wu-Tang. Are a slam dunk. Uh, the ODB performance is fantastic. The Method Man performance is, is is outrageous. It's 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 definitely for fans or just that that like you know 90s rap and 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 or like a good crime story like it's it's got it all um it's it's definitely better than i expected
1: great yeah one of these days i'll uh, i think i watched the first two episodes or so i'll I'll watch more you're gonna get a third and final season you haven't even watched the second one yet i'm very excited for you eric a couple a couple other things a couple other things here let's see what we got what do we got uh nick k put a book out uh, recently faith hope and carnage I can't, man. Oh, old Nick, old Saint Nick, he puts out a lot of uh, stuff like peripheral things. that aren't new albums. You guys see that he's got documentaries always coming out. He's yeah, he's you know he's doing a spoken word tour. He got a book. I mean, good for him. It's always quality with that guy. But uh, I'd like to hear a new record. I'd like to hear. You know, we've discussed this. We we hope he picks up guitars again. I hope that uh, you know maybe. Maybe when he, he's done dicking around here, he could, he could write some new music. So it sounds like he's going to go on tour until the end of uh, November and end in Australia. And then he well, well look at that. Look at that. Nick cave here says that when this tour is done in November, that's this month, they're going to start writing a new album. Well, all right, then good for Nick cave writing a new album at the end of November. I hope they pick up the
0: guitars. <laughs> Or at least have some drums, <laughs> something, something. There,
1: you know, you know that uh, uh, we could. I, I understand all these the the emotional anguish that went behind the last two records, but you know, you, you can you can still sing about those sad things, but have some drums. You know, that's, get that's uh, fine. P-
2: Peter and the Wolf re- remake uh,
1: <laughs>
0: album. i mean <laughs> many, take a page he out also, of Black. I was going to do a Willy Wonka. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Everyone's got to take a stab at the
2: wonk, man. Everyone's got it.
0: <laughs> a stab at the
1: wonk. That sounds like a birthday party song. Um, so did you guys, did you see got three more, three more items here? And I think they're all kind of tied together here. So we talked, we talked last episode about the, what was it? The Cleveland, the Cleveland uh, the rock and roll hall of fame. Was it, was that it, Eric? It's the nine snails yes, and everything. Yes, okay. We so that that was the Cleveland Hall of Fame. Now there's the real Hall of Fame, in which Nine Snails is already in it. But they did something just this, this uh, weekend, and it was it was like you know, like the the real ceremony is soon. But they did like a pre ceremony or something for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Judas Priest, Judas Priest, who we talked about, uh, was it Stain Class or which one did we talk? It, about? It was indeed, yes. That okay, so, yes. They got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame long, long overdue. Uh, Jewish priests, for God's sakes, they uh, they helped they helped make a genre, and they are just still carrying that torch today of uh, metal. But uh, it, it, you know, Dolly Parton, Dolly Parton also was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and some people might say, "But Dolly Parton's country." Which, yeah, you you could say that, but you know, she's got her her tenacity. And her spirit, and her songwriting skills, and all the people that have covered her songs—I mean, let her let her in. And so they did.
2: I mean, there's there's so, there's hip hoppers. The hip hitty hoppers are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean,
0: I yeah, think,
2: uh, I think
1: it's, it's they a should a just wide, really at this point it
0: the Music Hall of Fame. You know, yeah. Like, let's be honest. There's R and B and soul. It's not just rock and roll that's in there.
1: Yeah, and and, and you know when you speak of R and B and soul, you, the um, R and B and soul artists also covered Dolly Parton. And uh, they did, a. she played Jolene, her classic song, Jolene. And who sauntered onto the stage and did some lines with her but Rob Halford. And I have to tell you, folks, seeing Rob Halford and Dolly Parton sing together warmed my heart. Look it up. Dolly Parton and Rob Halford singing Jolene. At the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, of which Nine Inch Nails have been inducted before. And somebody pulled old Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails aside in a recent article, very recent. They asked Trent Reznor, "What is his favorite album?" Did you guys hear about this? Did you read about this?
0: I did not read about this. Oh, this old, is headline news for me.
1: Yeah, Trent Reznor, Breaking what is his, What is his favorite album? And uh, I'm you're not going. It's it is one we've covered. It's an album we have covered. That I had I had my assumptions. My assumptions were wrong, Eric. What do you think
0: it is?
2: So, if it's ones we covered, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say the wall.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh! I, are you saying like not his records? It is one of like the ones that we've actually exactly. covered this season.
1: Yeah, an album. Not this. I mean, come, Didn't we do a whole David Bowie season? You know? we sure did. So, oh, Eric, shit, knowing, shit. That again, okay. knowing that again, knowing that again, what do you, what do you think his favorite record is? Scary Monsters.
2: Yeah, Scary Monsters. Yeah.
1: Gentlemen, I assume that I assume the Everybody same thing. Said, I,
0: th-
1: I thought I I thought I knew it. I assume the same thing you
0: both did. No, is it's it not. Low? Okay.
1: No, folks, it's, it blew my mind. It was not even a David Bowie album, but it was a man that played with David Bowie. Do you want to take one more crack at it? Do you want to take one more crack? It, Transformer. Nope. That's it. Uh, I would Mark, say, you're uh, done.
2: Here come the Worm Jets by Brian Eno.
1: Nope. You're both wrong again. It we was. Didn't cover that record. Okay. <laughs> unless, yeah, so unless you're. you're yeah. are, you, are you moonlighting on another one of your podcasts, Eric, where you just <laughs> oh, talk to yourself? Yeah. 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 Enough's enough. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. <laughs>
2: All
1: right. All right. Uh, we got it's uh we're 45 minutes in that means we got to get moving to the the music talk have you ever noticed that usually around minute 45 is when we finally get to the band we're supposed to talk about
0: anyhow yeah
1: it is remain in light by the talking heads
0: unbelievable Mm -hmm. great great record
2: yeah good choice yes good choice
1: He, he probably his answer probably used to be scary monsters but then he heard us talk about remain in light and that made him appreciate the album more
0: that's uh, causation and conclusion. I mean, that has to be it. Yep. And in
1: conclusion, in tonight's, did you hear about this news line? Speaking of Remain in Light, did you guys hear about this? Jerry Harrison and Adrian Blue. Jerry Harrison and Adrian Blue. Jerry Harrison, the keyboard player from the Talking Heads, and Adrian Blue, the part timer guitar player for the Talking Heads, who played on the Remain in Light. They're going on tour this winter and playing all of Remain in Light at thirteen dates.
0: Oh, that's cool! That's they great- will be yeah. at your local library. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I don't know if
1: audience audience members are going to sing or if it's going to be you know if, if they're just going to get Pete Yorn to sing. I don't know who's going to do it. <laughs> that's great, though.
2: That's cool. That's cool. That's a, that's, that's awesome. A, that's a that time. is fun.
1: All right, that's enough. That's enough news for tonight. We are at the minute forty-five, which is usually when we get to the meat of the episode. And tonight we're gonna talk about a more del Tropico by the Black Cart procession. The black procession, though, Eric. I mean, there's the black cart procession, but there's so much more before them to get yeah. you to the black cart procession. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, yep. Well, the yes the thing is i picked an album that i you know i is an important album to me i think it's conceptually a, a album ripe for this podcast but um, the the world of black heart procession expands to other bands and other and in earlier times um, and so it's worth a little history dive in um, and i know we all have different experiences with the black heart procession and we'll, and we will get to that chronologically um I think we all kind of discovered them around the same time. So I'll make sure to, uh, to, uh, chisel out a little window to talk about that when it happens. But yeah, let's go back. Um, Mark said it right at the top, San Diego, California, um, sunny, beachy. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's LA. Um, but you know, a little bit more conservative, um, and that's where we have Paul Jenkins uh, teams up with Armistead Burwell-Smith IV, or sometimes known as ABS-IV. Um, and they start a band uh, with Tom Ziz- Zinser uh, called Three Mile Pilot. Guess we're going back in time. Black Heart Procession would be Paul Jenkins and... Uh, Tobias Nathaniel, but he's not quite in our story just yet. No, we've got Three Mile Pilot and we're going back to 1992 where they released their first album, Navuco de Lupo. Now, and that's translated um, from Sicilian to Into the Mouth of the Wolf. And Coming out of this early '90s, um, you know, there, it was an interesting time for um, for rock music because indie rock had, you know, a, you know, coming out of the, the the late '80s with post-punk, indie rock had a chance. Like it would, it, it, it had a kind of a national spotlight. And
1: except it wasn't called indie rock at the time. No, it was not. It was not exactly. Um, I mean, I don't even know if I would, I don't even, 1992, maybe it gets called alternative. I think it would have been called college rock. What do you think? Yeah, I think,
2: I think you're, I think you're spot on. I I think grunge was, it was a genre, but I think a lot of, a lot of bands that we we wouldn't think of as grunge got attributed to that. And I'll get to that a little bit later because weirdly they did three mile pilot did as well, which is baffling, um, in some, in some, uh, articles, but, um, they came out of this very guitar, like the the alternative rock of that time was very guitar heavy, and their first album, no guitar or or minimal, uh, uh, Navuco de Lupo, is um, really the spotlight is on Armistead Burwell Smith, the fourth's bass work. He comes like out on the stage as. You know he's doing this uh rhythm guitar and playing bass at the same time it's it's extremely impressive and you know he would go on to be in pinback with tom uh, zinser their drummer um and continue kind of more of that work but um in three mile pilot he really carried the rhythm the melody um yeah it was bass drums and paul jenkins our singer who who um really like it's mostly bass riffage with paul um And you know, the thing is, as Paul became a better singer as they went on. He got, he got a, you know, a a, a wider range, but when they started on that first album, you know, his dynamics are there. He knows when to go from like some post-punk yelling to barstool caterwauling, um, pretty effectively. Um, he's a good performer, um, and it garnished them some attention. Um, I don't know if anybody has anything to say about that first one. It's, it's not the one I reach for, um, but uh it certainly was different at the time it came out.
1: Yeah, I got a I got a request um we should uh as we go through their history at least if we have opinions give a capsule review on the uh, albums for for yeah. this band and and the BHP and yeah. whatever ephemera you bring up. Uh for this one I I like it. It's not yeah, it's it, it's definitely it, I mean at the time if I was listening to this type of music, I probably would have given it a, a big plus for how creative it is with looking at the bass in a different light. Like this is if uh, some guy that was a big, I don't know, rush or uh, at this time, he would have been contemporary of Les Claypool. Um, they, they make the bass, the lead instrument in a different way than those rock bands do. Um, it, it really fills in all the cracks and the crevices where there's no guitar going on. Pretty interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah, it, it is. Um, knowing where they will go from here, this album feels a little a little light. Um, so I don't know, Mark, feel free to chime in if you've got anything to say about uh, Navuco de Lupo.
0: You know, I, I do have this record in my collection in my garage somewhere, but it unfortunately is not, uh, in digital form as we all know, because in this household, we don't actually have anything that would actually feed physical media into a thing and then play it through another thing. It is all digitized and over the air for us in this household. So I didn't get an opportunity to, um, you know, blow off the dust on that record or even go to YouTube. Um, but I do remember it is a pretty sparse record and I'm really drudging back in any sort of cobwebs that are in my brain on this. So as a uh, non-person of authority, when it comes to having an opinion on this record, I just remember it was eh, not one that I reach for unless I'm doing a run through.
2: Well, you know what? And that's a, that's that's fair. I mean, I feel like based on that, me and Steve didn't have much more to add. So I, it's, it's not their most memorable. No, but,
1: but one, yeah, one thing I will say, though, that they did establish on their first record and something that I think is consistent throughout their discography is that they definitely have a vibe about them. And it, sometimes it's in the lyrics or the cover art or the names of the albums, maybe even the band. But there's a vibe about travel or like, You know, when I listen to some of their music, like I feel like I'm walking over mountains or, you know, going through old towns or digging through an old shed or taking a boat to an abandoned island or something. Um, They really have that vibe from the start. I don't know how they do it, but I definitely like finding things that you're not supposed to find in in dim lighting or uh, at the top of a very, you know, sparse mountains. That's how I feel when I listen to their music. And it starts in that first album.
2: Yeah, I think I I can see what you're saying there too. Like the especially the bass lines feel like they're, you know, you could you could imagine some you know legs hiking over, you know, every step as a you know as he's as he's playing like weirdly harmonics and and you know strumming harmonics and and hitting single notes at the same time. You know, no doubt about it, um, he's a phenomenal bass player. Um, but that brings us well, they got you know they they they. They followed it up with um, an, al- an album where they brought in more guitar. Um, they got a little bit heavier and you know I think I think uh, you know that, that definitely benefited them. and they released in 1994 what potentially is their greatest album name, Chief Assassin to the Sinister. originally on headhunter records in 1995. Um, and it was, it was shorter than, uh, it was short, uh, shorter than it would end up being. And what I mean by that is they got the attention of David Geffen. Uh, and this is where that grunge comes up. David Geffen, uh, 1994. I mean, we're looking at the death of Kurt Cobain and, um, uh grunge is is at its height of its powers and this is what i said it before there was some there you know this band looking at west coast artists um alternative artists that grunge was the was the thing and there's nothing grunge about these guys at all but um that's what david geffen wanted uh and 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 immediately bought the album from headhunter records and re-released it on on geffen um having them add two bonus tracks uh that were heavy in guitar um and actually pretty great songs um Inner Bishop is a groover it's it's it fucking uh it, it rocks but even even harder as the opener Shang versus Hanger um this shows some real dynamics and shows where they could go as a heavy rock band um while keeping that kind of like interesting intricate bass um I think this is a good album um I think it's an improvement um, there are some songs that, uh, you know, they're still kind of coming into their own as songwriters, but it's very interesting that this was their kind of most major label release in that entire span of Paul Jenkins career. This is his most
1: uh, major label release. It's so bizarre to me. Um, but that, that's i mean, come on right up the street. The Melvins are putting out uh, albums on Atlantic at this time. So that's just, uh, so what you could do in the midnight, early to mid nineties, Uh yeah, this album's great. Like the the album title, of course, "Chief Assassin to the Sinister," that that conjures an image. And you already mentioned the two songs that I underlined, Eric, which is uh, yeah, "Inner Bishop." That's a rocker. That's a good one. And then uh, the title track, or no, the first track. I don't remember if that's the title track. "Shang
2: like, Shang versus Hanger is the first. Exactly.
1: One. The I can see the wires beneath the skin. Song. That's a uh, that's a good one. Jenkins' delivery of that line. I love it. Um, it has a, I, I like the closer, too. It's a big 10-minute long, weird track. Um, some good post-hardcore stuff going on on this, on this record. A lot of angular rocking shit. It rocks definitely more than the first album. I dig it.
0: I have brought shame on my house, not for the first And it won't be the last time where I did not review this particular record before airtime. Um, I do recall it being an improvement, a little bit more instrumentation. Um, Right now, I still am not fully uh, invested in Three Mile Pilot. To answer your question, Eric, I have nothing to say about this record because it's been too long since I've heard it and it is not available uh, criminally on any streaming platform. And this is, I know, where Eric and Stevie say, this is why we keep physical media in the house. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: J-, J. Walter Weatherman uh, definitely uh, uh, came by to teach us that lesson. Um, but uh, no, that that is true. And if you can track it down, it is great. It is probably the hardest this group of musicians will rock, I mean as far as the Black Heart procession ones go, tell them you know, arguably maybe the album the spell. Um, but they something magical happened between this album and the next one. They found a pianist. Uh, they found Tobias Nathaniel. who joined uh, for the uh, recording the next album. David Geffen was fronting the money, getting him in a studio with uh, all of the bells and whistles they could ever ask for. And um, they get in there and they record, and they start working on another desert, another sea. Um, Of course, they spend so long working on it with infighting between the band members, not Tobias and, and Paul Jenkins. They seem to be simpatico, but some of the other members that uh so much time happens david the geffen records drops them before the album ever comes out and they put it out independently on touch and go uh pretty much about the time um you know they're kicking around breaking up there's not broken up yet but essentially uh the writing is on the wall despite that tumultuous to interrupt you eric but
0: every time that you say that blackheart percent or per procession and three mile pilot had some connection to dave geffen it always reminds me that he they're one separation short of shrek i love that
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody uh, anyways um yeah so uh, despite the tumultuous recording process you got a fantastic album out of Another Desert, Another Sea. Uh, eventually, Touch and Go released it. Um, this one, I mean, it's got this striking album cover uh, 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 of a horse, a red cover. It's got like, it's kind of, it's not, it doesn't rock as hard as the last one, but it, eh, some songs might. It gets loud. They use other instruments. You hear uh, Tobias Nathaniel's piano sounds and organ sounds all over this thing and um it's actually around this time that paul and tobias start thinking about another project but this particular album is worth talking about it it really is i guess an indie rock uh classic in my opinion i think they go a lot of places uh kill the racehorse is almost this like demon waltz Uh, has one of their best melodies. Um, this one has a lot of great tracks. Mark, do you have anything to say about Other Desert Another Sea?
0: Yeah, that's a solid record. solid record. Um Kill the Race Horse, like you had mentioned is a uh, it's an anxiety driven song um, done very well. I feel like this is where this band is really starting to hit their stride by uh, finding more melodies rather than trying to be as intricate as possible. Um, And I mostly lay that burden on Armistead, who went on to pin back. Um, You know, he's a very uh, skillful bass player, and he's not afraid to show it. And um, we get a little bit more of uh, a caged-in, more focused version of Three Mile Pilot on Another Desert, Another Sea, I think maybe bringing Tobias into the fold to add a little another layer of texture was certainly helpful um i uh really enjoy the song i think it's called if you cross or something like that i don't have my notes in front of me um but yeah that's a, a solid record um, maybe a little long but it's uh, it's a good record
1: it's all right I agree with Mark, though, it's too long. I, another desert, another sea. It's either my least favorite of theirs or my second least favorite. Um, next to the first album. I now, it's probably my least favorite of theirs. It's not bad. I just I check my watch a few times. There's a couple of songs where I'm like, ah, I'd rather be listening to one of their other albums. Um, it's not bad. It's just uh, it doesn't blow my socks off. Like, uh, some of the other albums have more meat for me to chew Mm into.
2: Well, I think, and like I said, I, uh, you know, I, I, you might be right. It was a, it was a, it was a, you know, long process and they were cobbling together what they had and they had a lot. turns out they had a whole lot more as we'll talk about in just a minute, but, um, uh, it was no no doubt three mile pilot was breaking up. Um, in 1998, they put out their final album meanwhile uh paul and tobias were working on something else that we'll get to in a minute but their final album was a is an ep um just called three mile pilot the self-titled ep it's a we call it the blue ep in our writer's room And, and it fully integrate Tobias Nathaniel into their songwriting process. Um, and you get a, a, a pretty atmospheric, um, you know, all, very much uh, foreshadowing things that, they'll, that they do a little bit later in Blackheart Procession. And you get an awesome Brian Eno uh, cover of um, By This River. Steve, what do you think about the Blue EP?
1: Yeah, I like the Blue EP a lot. Um, it might be my favorite thing they've done. I really listened to it again today. I listened to it recently. Um, It does have moments where it's sparse, but it's really pretty at times. The melodies on it are really good. The piano work is really good. Um, And again, like they're just uh, the the vibe they give me of traveling places or being alone in wide open spaces or confined spaces. Um, I was driving from Stockton to Northern California recently. I took the back roads and listened to it all the way through and it was just a perfect melding you know, those those golden rolling California hills in this this EP was a great match. I, I like it a lot. Yeah, On a Ship to Bangladesh is
2: probably one of their their last uh, Three Mile pilots. Like, you know the last Classics before their, their reunion, which, uh, spoiler alarm. Uh, Mark, did you get a chance to check this one out?
0: I did. Um, I think this was the beginning of me finally understanding what Through mile pilot was capable of uh i tended to get bored whenever i would do a run through on some of their other records just because i would always get caught up on their compilation record of that songs from an old town and uh i think that compilation which is mostly just compromised of a lot of b-sides uh for good reason um Just always kind of made me sour a little bit on this band, thinking that they were a little too, I don't know, sparse and not very pleasant on the ears in the sense of finding melodies that you could really, like, sink your teeth into. Um, And I was always under the impression that that two-record or two-disc compilation was actually a full-studio release um, I think that's what made me just kind of check out whenever I would do run throughs. So it was only recently that I picked up like the last reunion record and then looking through like the blue EP and the like I think maps EP that also accompanied a couple of years later after they reunited in 2010. Um, but this record or Rather EP, and then their reunion record is where, like, I'm fully thinking that this band was uh, very good, that they just needed time to evolve into what was a little bit more accessible. Um, and that's me being the UGG wearing boot <laughs> uh, version of uh, our trio here. Uh, this is the basic bitch. I, I do like myself some stuff that I can uh, instantly uh, gravitate to rather than having to feel challenged.
1: What's funny about that is that that, that double album was the first thing I bought by them. And I knew I, I'm pretty sure I knew it was a collection of B sides, but I always stood by it from day one. And part of that might just be on the strength of two back-to-back tracks that were recorded and released at the same time, which is a, uh, The open sided, and uh, what's that other one, Eric? It's right, right. The divine crown. The divine crown. Yes, and
2: I actually remember one of our first hangouts, Steve, um, in in the the house you and Mark shared, uh, was uh, you know a drunken night of just playing that open sided. Like, yeah, I, I don't know if we bought it at the same time or whatever, but I, you know, it was, it was, it
1: was, no, kind of, I, yeah. I, 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 you know, sometimes we had to combine our notes from history. You got it before I did. You introduced me to the band and that was the song. You said, you got to hear this song. And I, I'm convinced that's how it happened. Yeah, and I won't sounds be right. convinced otherwise. That was right. And also I always found it interesting. I'm like, man, this is like track five on disc two so you you like you plunged it you found a deep deep cut and you pulled like a diamond out of this thing like you wouldn't believe that song i i could go two years straight without listening to a three mile pilot album but i will put that song on still i always that that song's on any mix i'm making i'm like oh yeah i'll throw that on yeah that's uh, yeah and
2: that that was yeah and i would say i was a black heart procession fan first but when i when we were working at the record store and I could just get an album here and there when they would come and used, that was the first one I, I got. And um, that song stood out. And you're right, Mark, it, it's a B side album. The production's not going to be as good or it's going to be inconsistent at best. Um, there are some really good songs. Open sided is an all timer, not just three mile pilot or Paul Jenkins song, but it's just an all timer song for me. I think it's a, uh, just a very somehow evil sounding uh minimalist rock song it's great
1: yeah it's funny i don't you know our ears hear different stuff sometimes i think it sounds very positive and uh jubilant uplifting in a way i don't know
2: yeah I, it, it it has it a touch of things. yeah i i can yeah. see that too i can see that too I, it makes me uh, it uplifts me uh uh but it it also just i i think the uh the cascading uh piano pianos over the guitar shreds uh does it for me uh, that's that's it, it, it you know, same here usual.
1: yeah and it's not the first or last time that i swear that the, uh sometimes they make a they, they they dabble on that side of the 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 piano so much it starts to sound like a xylophone to me um they do that or a steel drum i now. thought
2: it was a steel drum forever until i listened to it with headphones. Yeah. um we'll get to steel drums later but uh that is kind of as far as we go with remote pilot. They did get together again in 2010. Um, they released the map CP and then followed it up with. Uh, what the fuck is that called? The history is the future of the truth or something. It, it Probably the most. Uh, was- uh,
0: the inevitable past is yes. the future forgotten. <laughs> it was yeah. It's a like visit- a fucking smashing pumpkins yeah. fucking title. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's like something, uh, you know. Yeah, but David I will Edgar say, it, right? yeah,
2: I will say it, it, that it's a pleasant, like Mark said, it, it is a pleasant sounding album.
1: And they let, I that do like know.
0: that one record quite a bit. I think it's really good.
1: No, I do too. I think everybody, everybody is more mature. Everybody went to their other projects for over a decade and they just brought back some good songwriting skills, musicianship, and some consistent production. And I think that's probably if I take nostalgia away from how I have a weird history with this band, probably their most consistent and maybe their best album.
0: Yes, I agree. I agree.
1: Well, um,
2: and, uh, they had been broken up before the blue EP came out in 1998. And, uh, Paul Jenkins, uh, singer, guitarist, uh, multi-instrumentalist was working with Tobias Nathaniel, pianist on a new project called black heart procession. But, uh, we would be remiss not to just talk a little bit about our bass player, um, Armistead, moving on to Pinback. Um, you guys have anything to say about Pinback?
0: Um, just real briefly, I don't have much uh, depth on Pinback. Um, I really enjoyed the uh, album Summer in Aberdeen. I think that's the name of it. Um, there was a music video that would sometimes show up on like 120 minutes called AFK and... Um, I felt that was a good mixture of not... I mean, I I, I was exposed to Pinback before I knew that there was any sort of relation to Blackheart Procession, so I'll just put that out there. And um, I really enjoyed that song, uh, AFK. I think that's a really catchy song. It's one of my favorites of Pinback, but that's as far as I went with that band. Um, <laughs> whatever reason, I always like put pin back even though there's no christian overtones i always thought they were a christian like alternative band i don't know what it was i think it was because the people that i knew that were into pinback were also into like a little pseudo christian music i don't know were,
2: were they on yeah. touch and go but you thought it was tooth and nail records which was actually a christian <laughs> oh I
1: mean, exactly. yeah it, it might have yeah. pin. They, you know, they might have been slotting Pinback next to Pedro the Lion or some nonsense.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what it was. Steven, yeah. you just like, like cracked the code there.
1: Yeah. Which couldn't be farther from the truth, but hey, you know, it happens. Um, yeah. Because I mean, Pinback also had a side project called Goblin Cock. So I don't really think that. Uh, right. That our Lord and Savior has one anything to do with that. Um, yeah. Pinback has many side projects, many albums. Uh, always seemed to be a band that people I knew liked more than me just cause I was like, listen, I can't listen to everything guys. You know, I'm doing my best here. Um, <laughs> so I never, I never dug too deep into them. Um, I, I, I knew their relations there. I, I do like that goblin cock album. I listened to it occasionally. It's, uh, they have a couple albums actually. And it was, um, Mr. Pinback's attempt at metal and it's pretty good at grooves. I saw them at the mezzanine once it was good. um, But what's funny about Pinback is that I didn't make the Blackheart Procession connection until at the record store. A girl that I, when I was in eighth grade, I went to the Waterworld in Sacramento and uh, met some girls that lived there. And they were like, you know, the alternative goth adjacent. And I think it was one of the first times I remember giving my phone number to someone that like went to a different school and she actually she actually called me, which I was like, Oh my God, this is holy! Oh my goodness. Steven, so, a
0: little extra time in the bathroom after that.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> uh, I think we only hung out like maybe two more times. And I think we were, we were pho- phone friends, if you will. Um, but anyhow, I didn't, didn't think about her for years. And then she came in a dimple with a big bag of CDs. And I was like, Hey, the lady, uh, I haven't remember me. Oh yeah. It's funny. And so she's selling all these CDs back and I'm like, wow, well, you got some good stuff in here. And actually I think my copy of black Heart procession too, I, I got from that bundle she sold back and she was like, yeah, uh, Rob Crow from Pinback is a total asshole. They played a show and they, uh, he stayed at my house and he just treated my house like a hotel room and just tore it all up. And I don't want any, any, anything he's ever been near. I'm not, I want, I don't want it. And so she was like selling, wow not even bands that he was in like bands that had other band members that he was, in, yeah. you know, that were in pinback, like everything, everything must, had to go. Um, I remember,
2: I remember working. I remember that, that, that situ- I was right there next to you. And I remember just being like, Oh man, that sucks. And My eyes just looking down at the stack of CDs she was selling. Uh-huh. That sucks. Oh
1: God. Yeah, exactly. Like. What you Don't, don't, you know, don't, whatever we do, don't let her change her mind. Don't, uh, you know, don't say, oh, are you sure? You know, you know, so that was pretty funny. And that was how I learned about the pinback black heart procession connection. And uh, yeah, I like Goblincock. That's the end of my pinback story. I did buy a, uh, <laughs> and
2: I think I, I don't even remember why, but it, I bought a uh, Rob Crow side project, you know, back in the midst of this when I was really into, you know, all this You know, discovering all the Paul Jenkins stuff was Thingy. Thingy was a side, a Rob Crow side project. And the song, the album Songs About Angels, Evil, and Running Around on Fire was the name of it. It was actually a pretty good, uh, side project, um, hodgepodge. And uh, the song Destroy All Music is, uh, is good, solid, solid. Yeah, what a
1: what a what a late 90s, early aughts, I have a side project name for Thingy, like I, you're never gonna name your real project that. You'll name no, no. a side project that's you know basically eight tracks that you drunkenly put together over two weekends at a cabin.
0: Thingy uh, is definitely a band name that would appear on a Kevin Smith soundtrack.
2: God, <laughs> right? <laughs> Something that that, that, that yeah the, the whatever umbrella company owns the the production company uh, said, hey, these songs are free.
1: Enjoy. <laughs> Speaking, the speaking. Popes, yeah, the smoking popes. <laughs> why were oh, we? Yeah. Why were we talking about the smoking popes recently? We oh, were looking at Angus.
2: Something. Angus soundtrack.
1: That's right. Yeah. No, it was around that time I met that girl that I looked like Angus. So that was uh, <laughs> it. All makes all comes back to Angus. Uh, <laughs> you know, speaking of side projects. Why don't we just keep charting that course there and, uh, the ugly Casanova, Derek, tell us about ugly. Well, that happened
2: a little later, but that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll just do that real quick. That's Isaac Brock from modest mouse and John Orth from hollow paw. They made a, um, a side project. That's, you know, just kind of, uh, kind of fun overproduced, a lot of bells and whistles. Um, kind of you know I, I sometimes like a noisy folk little uh, little modest mouse mostly side project um and uh paul jenkins from black Procession recession uh is on two songs pacifico and uh home for the holidays and um all in all his contributions are great and you can tell it's him right from the bat the haunting vocals but all in all that's a great great album to listen to
1: are you sure he didn't write more of it? When I read through, like it sounds like he had more to do with it than just singing on two songs. He might have. Uh, the research I did, he's only credited on those two
2: songs. But I didn't. I couldn't find any good literature about that record. So maybe you no, found I, something I didn't.
1: Yeah, no. I, I read a couple of articles that came out around the time. Um, like one of them was uh, the Pitchfork review. Pitchfork actually glowing. Uh, they, they're, they're pretty big fans of, of uh, Three Mile Pilot, and they were even bigger fans of Blackheart Procession, which is... Usually, when we look back at Pitchfork reviews of bands we cover, it's uh, bad. But, <laughs> Anyhow, yeah, I found some ink on, on Ugly Casanova, and I, I remember when it came out... Um, I think, Eric, you probably pointed it out to me. I think it actually... you know, this was around the time, too, when I was really getting into Modest Mouse, and I, I, I really like that record. I've always liked it. Um... I think it's just as good as the best Modest Mouse records. I like Modest Mouse a lot. I mean, what's not to like about Modest Mouse? Um, you know, uh, they, I, I, it has that backwoods, old school Modest Mouse twang, but it's got a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know, maudlin Tom Waitsy side to it. Um,
2: yeah, it's, it's funny did. you bring that up. I have a note, like, you know, I'm generally not really, like, a folk music guy. I like my Tom Waits, and yeah, I like Bob Dylan, but kind of more of, like, <laughs> more of the, just the whole experience of Bob Dylan um, than anything else. But there was this time in the early aughts that uh, I think, and I will actually probably point all my fingers to uh, Wilco's Yankee Foxtrot Hotel, where... There could be this Americana, folky kind of thing that was experimental and noisy, and um, and you got bands like Califone and Hollow out of that, and then and then this um, as well. And I think that, that was, it was it was it was very intriguing to me. I, I enjoyed that 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 little little brief window of of time where um, you know folk and uh, your kind of uh, production bells and whistles all
1: overlapped. What was that? Yeah mark are you an ugly casanova
0: you know if there ever was a band that had a title or band name that was just destined for a side project it would be the name ugly casanova that is a band name that just is not destined for greatness but all in all it is essentially isaac brock and uh it's a good record. I mean, I think that it's a tad overrated because I remember when we all worked at the record store, like that was like one of the things that you had to have in your record collection if you're into indie music. Oh, you got to check this one out. You got to check this one out. And I was always like little so-so on Modest Mouse. I think that they um, have some strong records and then they evolved into this, you know, uh, more commercial band that I just never felt like the jangliness and the hard edge solos that Isaac Brock would do um, just really evolved into like being able to sell a Honda. And that's kind of what they evolved into and that's fine. Um, not begrudging anyone for selling out. everyone's got to make their money, but it just in terms of, you know what I attributed Isaac Brock to, Ugly Casanova was certainly a uh, bridge. It's more of a Isaac Brock side project than it is a Paul Jenkins. And when I was uh. even thinking of like smoking popes, like there's another band name out there that I always would find on soundtracks. You guys, remember Soul Coughing?
1: Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, super, super Bon Bon, bon. bon. Super uh, bon, bon. bon Bon. That's right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. that's another band that just is in the buzz bin. And I feel that at at times, you know, because of the heyday of the late nineties, early two thousands, whenever a band would come across like, um, modest mouse, for example, and to a certain extent, you know, some of the indie bands that were maybe trying to get a major label debut, it was the buzz bin. That's what they were going for. And, I think Modest Mouse found themselves in the buzz bin and uh still wanted to have some a little bit of creative outlet and that's what Ugly Casanova was.
1: I couldn't disagree more. I think that Modest Mouse was always going to sound like Modest Mouse no matter what label was chasing them down. I when I listen to their
0: albums you don't albums, think that there's like a black eyed peasification in the last couple records of them.
1: Oh, no, they're just better produced to me. I think those okay. records, I think they would have. I think the uh, epic, I think it was epic. Epic came a Colin, but I think those two records would have sounded almost exactly like they would have if they were on sub pop or whatever. Uh, probably not as polished, but I think the songs would have been written exactly the same.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I just felt like. I don't know. Uh, Float on is definitely a car commercial song. Oh, Definitely. Yeah, but
1: I and I and I think that Isaac Brock probably wrote it, not with the intent for it to be a car like in a car commercial. But when the car commercial people came, a colony probably was like hell yeah, sign me up. But you know that's I I I see that happening. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I just uh, I I'm not yeah, the yeah the the black eyed peas when they became <laughs> the, I don't. I don't think, I, I, I just don't think it's apples to apples, the, you know, the float on album and Ella Funk. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> 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 so, so yeah.
2: Around, so when, 98 go back a little few years 98 when three mile pilot broke up paul jenkins and tobias nathaniel who who was the most recent addition to the three mile pilot they 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 started working on on the side and and by the time three mile pilot was gone they were already had an album in the in the can and you get black heart procession one and um this this is a very it's a sparse record um they definitely knew what sound they were going for um Piano, and like when I say piano, I mean like, um, you know, muted piano uh, in a, playing in an empty warehouse. Um, you've got uh, some guitar picks. Uh, you've got uh, Paul Jenkins playing the saw. And um, a lot of gate sounds. Gates opening and closing. Old rusty gates. And you will hear that on all of their albums from here. Uh,
1: Eric, I literally in my notes for this album wrote, can a band create rhythms out of scrapes and rusty gates? (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) So this,
1: this,
2: this album is, is, is low budget, lo fi, sad bastard, uh, you know, indie, not even, I don't rock, I guess, but it's, um, but it's a beautiful album. Um, it's you've got a song called Even Thieves Couldn't Lie which is my favorite on this one it's this beautifully sad love song about when you know your love dies and you're left mourning and you know you, you remember like uh, the, the moments that, that filled you with life like we don't need money when we've got us
0: and Even thieves they couldn't lie Look into her eyes,
2: all your plans will fall apart.
0: The storm held back beyond the mountains as the birds build.
2: sings about the birds flying over her grave it's a heartbreaking song and 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 some of the best storytelling lyrics Uh, you have um that old kind of summer which is a waltz uh where the accordion keeps this atmosphere and the piano hits and and paul isn't afraid to wail you have winter my heart froze which is almost like a phantom of the opera halloween instrumental track and then the closer, or one of the closers, in the tin flask, which is one of the saddest songs ever, just succumbing to dying in a bottle. Um, they knew what they were going for in this, and it was it was going to be sad, heartbroken music. It was going to creating this pastiche of, of minimal instruments, but even with no budget, they were pushing their their production, and and it would get better later. But they could still capture the atmosphere they wanted to capture with very little.
0: Black the first record. Is um, not the first one that I heard by Blackheart Procession, that's for sure. I started with three, and it, I mean, like shit, man. Back in those days, if it didn't come in through used, you weren't going to buy it. That's just how we rolled because we had the biggest discount. And a lot of times when uh, this wasn't something that was regularly stocked at, at, at any of our record stores, despite how cool we tried to be, our at our record store. So it's not to say that this was a regular occurrence in the news section. So when it did come in used, of course, we all rushed to put our name on it because we were trying to catch them all. And when I did finally catch them all on this one, it was just like, okay, I could see the beginnings of Blackheart Procession. It is just Tobias and Paul. And, um, you know very reminiscent of what you would find on a maybe early Tom Waits record, maybe even a little bit of an impression of a Nick cave uh, where it's just piano and caterwalling, which Paul Jenkins does in spades. Caterwalling is his uh, fifth gear and I'm, it, it matches the music. So it's not ne- necessarily a like a, a, a bug. I think it's a feature, but you definitely get that in uh, spades on this record.
1: Yeah, I like I like one. Let's let's rank them when we're done here. Let's rank them when we're done here. Uh, my rankings changed in between. Uh, uh, within the last two weeks. Yeah, but one's good. It's got some classic songs. It's got like two of my favorites, like Eric mentioned, the old kind of summer and even thieves couldn't lie. I think when we saw them live one time, we were yelling the old kind of summer, like, you know, like at a rock show, like Freebird. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Which, we were, we we're so oh, kind of summer, and then like I remember Tobias Athena was like, like you started yeah. playing it on, and then and then they stopped, and then went, went into something else. But it was and they it was, were probably
1: they were probably like, what, what the fuck? Like we yeah. got dipshits yelling songs at us here. This is very bizarre. <laughs> yeah, you don't usually <laughs> see this like amongst our you know fan base. Yeah,
2: we should just mention Steve and I were like like massive fans. I think we what did we see him four times, three times, like in a t- like a three year period.
1: I let's 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 uh, let's talk live shows before we talk the album and try to f- suss that out. Um, yeah. and uh, But, uh, you know, yeah, Mark, you're right. You were definitely right. Tom Waitsian and uh, the fall and sparse. There there is some some fi ness to it, but it never sounded incomplete to me. Like sometimes when I think of lo-fi indie rock, I'm thinking of something that's uh, uh you could, you know, you walk down to the cafe and it's just a guy with his guitar and a, you know, one person with a snare drum or something. It was no, they, they still, even on this first album, there's some instrumentation going on. Um, be at the rusty gates, like Eric said, but there's like bells and accordions already. Um, They've
2: got an ear for atmosphere.
1: Ear well. for atmosphere. And doing a lot with a little, and sometimes they do a lot with a lot. Um, not a rock band, not a full orchestra. Uh, like something on a corner in uh, the movie Coco. I don't know. But um, it's uh, a good, good album. Stitched to my heart is another one I like. A very doomy song, Stitched to My Heart. And they almost named all the songs after Hearts, but they kind of, they didn't commit to the bit totally. I think, I think two of the track titles don't have the word heart in them. Just look at that album cover, by the way. Oh,
2: it's that that that, that, framed. I have that one framed in our house somewhere. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That, that, that album cover looks like the album or that, that album cover looks like how the album sounds. It's an old faded picture to angle of a lady with like a, what like a beehive do or something from like 1962.
2: Yeah. And they, 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 and they will continue to use like heartbreak as a foundation to songs, but um. As we'll find out in the next album, they have a lot more to say than that. And we'll move on to that right now. Like Black Heart Procession 2 um, is much in the same pastiche as the first one. They add they've, you know, added some new instrumentation, some live bass, some drums. Um, uh, you know, they they've upped it a little bit. And you have, like, uh, them, yes, still singing about uh, heartbreak, but, uh, like, blue tears, but also not afraid to, like, uh, or like a light so dim, but then, like, talking about the hypocrisy of religion in a great song called Churches Red." epic anti-religion song. Um, and then they're, you know, not afraid to rock a little bit with It's a Crime I Never Told You about the Diamonds in Your Eyes. It's a sweet, fun little rocker. Um, you know, I would say they just took what worked from the first one and, and, and upped it a little bit in two. Any thoughts on two, guys?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like... I used to love two. Now I just like it. I uh, It's not bad. But my memory of it was better than I think the album actually is still yeah, a good record.
2: It's, it's got some, it's got a couple of my favorite songs, but as a whole, it does not rank as high as most of the other ones.
1: Exactly. Like all the parts are still there that I like, but they're just not at the same level. as Some of the other albums, but you've got your church is red. You've got blue tears and you've got diamonds in your eyes, which are all timers. And also this is the one where God bless it. I love my son. I was listening to it, and we were talking. I don't. He asked me what I was listening to because it doesn't – if you're a little kid like and your dad listened to a lot of rock music, this doesn't sound like that. And he's like, Dad, what, what is this? He's like, oh, it's a band of Black Carper like, like, I like it. Your mom really likes them too. He's like, this is neat. It sounds like music that you'd be listening to if you were living in an alley and hiding from the police. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not wrong. That is a perfect description
1: <laughs> Or if name, you're a grave, grave digger. <laughs> Oh,
0: my God!
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah he said they are certain search- and they're searching almost everywhere. I was like you're not wrong, son.
0: That is a really good description. He might have yeah. a future as a music critic.
1: He also described something recently, and it might have been another song by them of like you know skeletons floating in the air. like I just you're like you're right on that one as well, buddy. but yeah, yeah. Was, cr- cracking me up. Mark, what do you think about this one?
0: I do think it's an improvement over two. Um, it does have some live a one, one, oh, or one on excuse me. Yes. Uh, goddamn this numeric system that we black heart processionists around. What do they think they are? Led Zeppelin. Right.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Metric system. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but, um, it's a crime. They never told you about the diamonds in her eyes. That's a, that's a solid song. I think when I was going through their back catalog, two and three definitely rang true. Um, I think I was uh, fully invested by the time uh, Four or Amor del Tropico came out. I remember Eric getting a postcard from Touch and Go announcing the release of that particular record. And I think all of us were very excited about it. And I think it was because of the strength of What's on Two and What's on Three uh, for their catalog. And I think we were all um, very invested. For me, I was way more into Three than I was on Two. But I could say that if I was to currently rank them at this time when I was listening to two, it would be three, two, one. So, yeah.
2: Yeah, and three, let's go on to three. Three was the first Black Harper session. I, I that this one got me into that. I was away at college at Sonoma state and I, there was a local record store there. And you know, every time I, I, I was working at the time and every time I got paid, I'd go out and grab a couple things. And, um, I think I had read about them in a, in some rock rag and, and, uh, picked up three. Um, it, it sounded like it had fitted stuff. I, you know, I, I, enjoyed. And then, then I, then I later went back and, and, and bought the first two and, um, uh, three is is definitely a different a different monster it, it still has the sad chamber folk of the of the early th- songs the plucking guitar strings the sad songs but they incorporate um, this like looping echoey guitar um, some affected drums some probably just drum machines um, electronic bells and whistles um, you get songs like guess I'll forget you um, and of course uh, probably what we're all say is the banger of their career or one of them is waterfront the sinking road Um, three is really good and it made me a fan and made me go back and find everything else all the way back to three mile pilot and then then beyond this Um, Mark
0: yeah I mean um, this was my gateway into Blackheart Procession and I was always enamored and we also saw a little bit of that on the two cover art where Paul Jenkins' drawings and artwork really come into the foray Uh, one of the things that I think on the uh, I may have stepped out was the horse's mask that was often utilized live where they would play the saw and put on a horse's mask and you see a little bit of that in the liner notes to this record And so that just like a little bit of sense of humor mixed with the forlornness of heartbreak that you constantly, whether he lyrically is talking about it or musically, you just feel that um, that's what what's going on here. I mean, hell, it's in the title, the Black Heart Procession, something very sadness is proceeding through their band and through their music But Waterfront, The Sinking Road, when I first heard that song, like literally I felt time stop. is one of my all-time favorite songs of all time. Anytime that I try to introduce anyone to the world of Blackheart Procession, that is the one song that I'll zero in on because it has elements of everything that Blackheart Procession has. Atmosphere, saw work, uh, longing vocals, extremely layered production, despite it being probably on a $5 budget. You're able to maximize that. Um, great piano work, great drum work. That song is one of the all-time greats. And uh, if anything... Masterclass.
2: Masterclass.
0: It, a- it really is. I mean, anytime that I think of the Blackheart Procession, I think of Waterfront The Sinking Road. That song is amazing. Um, and I do know that that song in particular, because of how strong it is, it carries a lot of weight on this record. I mean, I always liked, we always knew, guess I'll forget you. But for the rest of the record, I mean, it doesn't have as much dynamics as the next record. I mean, I'll be, just be honest, before we even get into track by track, I think Amor Del Tropico is their most fully realized record that is at, at the height of their powers. Um, I mean, even though, you know, the spell and six is very strong, it all starts at the departure point, which is Amor Del Tropico but this is the the ramp up to that rocket ship ride. Um, but yeah, I love this record. It's on my, like, I don't think it's their best, but it was the one that was the uh, marijuana to get me into their heroin.
2: I think, <laughs> I think it's the best of their <laughs> early stuff though. I do think it's the best of their early stuff. It's uh yes. Great.
1: Steve, three thoughts. On again, three? again, we'll rank it at the end. Gentlemen, we'll rank them at the end. Um, Yeah, three is good. It's funny. I man, I can't. For some reason, I thought I heard "Immortal tropical first and then I went back and got into three and it's quite possible. It's not like we were all like listening to music exactly at the same speed, Um, because I I remember Eric either read that the new album was going to be different for them or he told me it was different than what the other stuff was. Um, And the new album at the time was immortal tropical or the upcoming album. Can't remember. Doesn't matter uh three is good yeah like you said three is where they start to really pull it together um not as much as they will in the next album but they start to have more dynamics they lean into the post-war brooding songs of which you'll also hear a lot of that on their eps um yeah just that's like a whole other like side to them is just like you can imagine some dude at a cafe in 1931 uh <laughs> I'm writing these thoughts down. Yeah, that's so um,
2: Steve's referencing the uh the it's it's an EP called nineteen oh three to nineteen eighteen, Innocence. And it's uh it's got waltzes. I, I am, and,
1: but I but I also think that those waltzes and that baroqueness is found like a lot on this on three and it, it appears yeah. throughout their discography. Um yeah, it's just funny I think Mark mentioned the artwork. Forgot to mention that uh yeah, one of my I'm not sure I, you know, if I, we always make jokes about, you know, one thing leading to another and, uh, the things that probably aren't connected, but could be, but like, I'm convinced that Eric got me into this band. Um, and then I got a cheaply crudely done tattoo done of the, some of the artwork off of, uh, I think two or three. And then, uh, when I met my future wife years later, I noticed she had some tattoos on her wrists that were Blackheart Procession lyrics from uh, the I'll Be Your Lighthouse in the Storm" song. What is that? that's that?
2: right, but don't yeah, don't don't put me on trial for lyrics. Okay,
1: I, anyhow, and I was like, oh my goodness, this girl's got I've got a Blackheart Procession tattoo. She's got a couple of them. This is meant to be. Um, there was many other reasons why my wife became my wife, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe that was the the needle that broke the camel's back. We're a decade later. Yeah. So Um, anyhow, but my, my opinions on three back to three. Uh, yeah. And ships of gold. We always knew. And one set at the fire. I like those songs. And you're right, Eric. There's like this, like some drum loops or some actually like organ loops or something. But the, the looping on this, this album sounds very organic. It doesn't sound. It's like, it's, it, it doesn't sound like pro tools.
2: There's electronic programming happening, but it, yeah, it feels, it feels like it's from the earth. It's, it's great. Um, but yeah, after this album, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, I think when we, uh, right before Amor de Tropico came out, we, uh, or right around that time is when we saw them live, I found my ticket, um, and it would have been, uh, fr- Friday, October 11th. Um, and, uh, you and I saw them, Steve, at Capital Garage, uh, where they played songs off the new album and and old stuff and pretty mind-blowing. Uh, and then I was, I had tickets to see him the next day in San Francisco with some people and, uh, got in a car accident before I left Sacramento, uh, totaled my car on the way there.
1: Um, most car accidents happen four miles from home. It's true.
2: So I didn't see that I didn't see them that night, but I would see them at Great American Music Hall later. Um but yeah, that show at Capital Garage was very special. Uh you had the you had the horse face, you had the mask, you had the the the, the saw, you had a, an opening band Winfred E. I, which was like cut from the same cloth as Blackheart Procession. It was just a a special place at a at a Sacramento staple of, for concerts that for small bands that would Go away very quickly after that.
1: Yeah, it was a perfect place to see them. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Um, and it did remind me because I I bought seven inches at that show. Like they and it was a time where physical media. Sorry, Mark. I know I'm
0: clutching your pearls here, but physical media was like. I just did a sign of the cross, but go ahead.
2: <laughs> it was like a band would tour, <laughs> and, and they would make a, a song or two songs for that tour put it on like color vinyl, sell it for $8 and you would get a little memento and it was nothing you could find on any other album. Nothing that would ever show up on the streams to this day, something very special. And uh, I do have like a, like uh, two or three of those from black Heart procession um, uh, from those times following them on the road uh, uh, and, and great songs, you know? Uh, so.
1: All right. To keep, to keep things moving here, let's talk about the spell and then uh, six yep. So and then the EPs so, and the EPs briefly and then we'll get to the, the main course. Yeah.
2: And and uh, Yes. So the next album that came out was a Mortot Tropico, and we'll get to that in a second. So in and, and, and that was in two thousand two. Uh, a little ep called in the fish tank it was a split with a swedish group called Solbakken. it it showed black procession jamming <laughs> thank you uh, uh black heart procession was jamming a little bit more it wasn't just two guys in a studio these were bands of people that were making kind of dark sad songs but letting it go a little bit more and it would inform their music to come Uh, That is a cool record, specifically the song called Things Go On Without Mistakes is this epic barn burner. Your Cave is a good song. I don't know if you guys have anything to say about In the Fish Tank, but that was a really cool, like, surprise release. Halfway in between albums.
0: Oh, no, I love that EP. I remember being fully invested in that last track. I think it was called uh, Mistakes Are...
2: Things Go On Without Mistakes, yeah.
0: Oh, my God. Jesus Christ, that, that song is a journey, and that song is awesome. I love that song.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, cool stuff, uh, and yeah, Blackheart d- acting acting like like a full band on a record, which is cool to hear.
1: Yeah, no, that's a good, that's, that EP's always been good. I've always liked it. I've always been impressed by it. It doesn't sound like a throwaway. Like, they brought out some great songwriting ideas that probably would have had a home on one of their albums. They didn't half-ass it because it was some kind of collaboration uh EP. I never listened to Soul Bakken, but when I listened to it, it sounds to me more like Black Heart Procession is in the driver's seat. Um that last song though is kind of proggyish. I mean I could see I just it the way it builds and uh, has some great percussion. Yeah, that things go on with mistakes. I think things go on with mistakes, if it was the only song on there, it'd be worth the price of admission, but the whole thing's good. Um Yeah, it just has like that bass line in that song, that, that boom, 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 boom. And then, you know, the guitar and the pianos all get bigger. And the, oh my goodness, it's great stuff. I'm That's just going
0: to say that, like, in the, uh, that song fits right in there with the peak of Mogwai. And unfortunately, Steve, I'm going to say it, the peak of Rós. That song has got some fucking movements in that song.
1: Oh, yeah. That doesn't put me to sleep, so I don't see where you're going with the sugar Royce point. Oh, man,
0: there's some Suga songs that are like a roller coaster ride. You need to revisit some of the stuff off the parentheses record and um, hell, even the fucking Agatius Bayern record before they go into sleepy time. Those those two records, man. Watch out. Next time I need to get to sleep. I'll no man, on. there's some like <laughs> ISIS moments on some of those records. I, I you got to revisit some of that stuff.
1: All right, uh, we'll, we'll, it's, good, you know. it's
2: good enough for Tom Cruise and Vanilla Sky.
0: It's good That's what for, I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, if anything's good for Tom Cruise, it's good for me. Like I said, yeah, yeah. does it's Elizabeth good. Moss jump out of helicopters? No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I, if well, I want to, you know what? If I if I want to hear Forrest speak uh, over weird Icelandic drifting sounds. I'll put Bjork on or I'll watch the movie Nell backwards. (laughs) Um, Speaking of ISIS, uh, they did one of those things too. That's the only other one I owned of those fish tank collaborations. Yeah, Um, I can't remember who they were paired up with, but that was a neat idea. The the fish tank series, getting two artists and having them not just jam out, try to write some songs together. I remember there was one and it was ICP and Sonic Youth and it
2: was... (laughs) I was, like, I was like, "Is this insane clown?" Po-? I like, I put it on. I was like, "There's no way." And then, no, the song was not. called
0: "Dirty Magnets." Yeah, yeah. yeah. I
2: know. there was another apparently some other instrumental band called ICP. But, anyways, you
1: know, the majority of the record sales probably came from being mistaken for yeah. insane Clown Pop.
0: Exactly. Oh man, which Joker card is this one? <laughs> All right.
2: the album we'll be talking about 2006 you know they are jazzed to be a full band so they bring in modest mouse uh drummer um they bring in the uh actually by the
1: way by the way joe Plummer's all over immortal like he's all over immortal tropical
2: yeah 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 so he's yeah no he's playing all over that he is now their like in-house drummer and they bring in the two guys from album album leaf to be their bass and violinist and you make the album called The Spell, which is, like, uh, more of a full band Blackheart Procession album. They have some songs like The Letter, which feel, in, like, very much in-house with their early first two albums. And then you have some, like, absolute jammers, riffage, like, in songs like GPS, uh, Shredder. Um, you have to bring you back with some, like, slide guitar and spaciness. Um, and they've expanded their sound quite a bit. Um don't know if the songwriting is uh, uh, you know, necessarily uh, creme de la creme on all the tracks, but they are doing something new, and it's definitely enough to catch my attention and keep it. Um, what do you guys think about The Spell?
1: Spell is a triumph. It is a great record. I think the songwriting is there. I think the musicianship is there. Uh, I think the dynamics and the song types is there. I appreciate them being a little bit more upbeat but there's still definitely the black Heart procession at the time. I didn't listen to it much just because I wasn't listening to this kind of stuff as much, but uh, GPS has always been on my playlists. And um, the, to me, it sounds like the same album, same band, but instead of being down alleyways and in basements, they're above ground. Um, almost like the cold light of new year's day is like shining on them, but it's still fucking cold. Uh, it moves a little bit more. There's more there's more drive to it, but it still has like a haunted vibe. Um, I love it. It's definitely the album that reminds me that they are uh, Tom Petty fans. And um, I love the spell. I love it.
2: Spell thoughts.
0: So the spell uh, it takes a lot of elements of what was working for Blackheart Procession on Amor del Tropico by having a more fully realized sound, more fleshed out, but adding in some—I wouldn't say Tim Burton elements because that just sounds like um, clogs and spoons uh, mixed with strings. But I do feel that there's an element of um, darkness. There are some really catchy songs off this uh, particular record. Um, what do we got here? We got. Well, first off, the uh, the album cover. When I uh, saw that thing come out, uh, you know, uh, "Boobs are legal again" um, is what Paul Jenkins yeah. said. Right. So
1: also the color, the color yellow that's like the brightest color they've had in any of their, their <laughs> damn things. <laughs>
0: um but not just words uh that is a radio-friendly song um the song the spelled um tangled like it it has oh some, i love
2: those tracks yeah, oh those, those the
0: the first three tracks are bangers and uh, it's a strong record i mean it's in contention for being one of their their best absolutely um, Absolutely, it really is. Um,
1: even the Fat bastard songs, though. Places is a good one. Yeah. To bring you back is a great song. That's the, the letter. The I like
0: the letter a lot. The
1: letter
2: is
0: good. And yeah, that's why it might be in contention. Is because as we will get into Immortal Tropico, it's fifteen tracks, and sometimes it does tend to lag. But I feel the spell says, "Hey, let's uh, let's trim the fat." What do you say?
1: It is and, their leanest album. I think uh, pound for pound, it's their their leanest one. They're uh, they are uh, their tightest one. You're right. Yeah. My only
2: uh detraction from this from this album is uh doesn't always have that sense of atmosphere, which is why we're coming to Black Heart Procession. Um uh and that's I, the point. I mean, I I think that mm. they they did that on purpose and that's and 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 they were successful in that. Just And like
1: what I what I think is it's just a different type of atmosphere. I think it's a it's an atmospheric change. It's an altitude change, but I still think the atmosphere is there in my opinion
2: well speaking of atmosphere they followed it up with what would become their final album uh what was it in 2009 and we have six Ooh.
1: This is the wasteland Of all shattered hearts I hear the ghosts
2: calling me Six, um, in my opinion, is actually their most fully realized uh, album as far as production goes. Um, it it sounds, I guess, the most expensive uh they, uh, but it is a callback. I would say that they, there are songs here that show every little era they went to, but they're not afraid to go back to minimalism. You have songs like uh, The Witching Stone, which is this catchy, dark, mysterious track. Um, and uh, Heaven and Hell, which is a little funky. Um, Suicide, which is like this drony song. And then like uh, you've got drugs, which is one of the saddest, most beautiful ballads they've ever done about joining your loved one as they are consumed by addiction. Um, you have forget my heart, which is like one of the la- the last song on here, which is like ending where they began. It's a perfect throwback. It just goes back to that song could be on on one with with less production. Uh, six is a cool cool record. Um, Mark, what do you think about six?
0: Let where I felt that they were dipping a little bit of their toe into kind of uh, Tim Burton land, because I do think that this band does have a really good way of portraying atmosphere, which can be then perpetuated into kind of this cinematic experience. Uh, when we talk about Amor del Tropico, I definitely get a David Lynch vibe. Um, on some of this record, I get more of a Tim Burton vi- vibe. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, I think that because they rely so heavily on instrumentation um, to really convey what they're trying to um, get across. I think Paul Jenkins is a fine lyricist, but he's not as um, intricate or complex when it comes to creating these themes. And I really do think that, for once, when we've talked about any sort of band, this band really does try to let the music speak for itself and really try to convey the the feeling that it gives you. Um, Witching Stone, great song. Uh, Rats, uh, it has kind of this uh, cinematic kind of feeling to it. But all in all, like The Spell in Six, I kind of... Um, always lump into one uh, major theme because when I go to Blackheart Procession, I really go towards, gravitate towards three and Immortal Tropico, more so than Spell and Six. I think of them as like two different phases of the band. And um, even though this is their last record um, to date, I do think that they went out pretty strong. Like I couldn't see any sorts of... um, cracks in the seams on this record it seemed like a logical progression
1: yeah this record this record sounds like a crystallation or a a culmination of their various sounds to me i I think that you could you could see the band that did the first three albums and you could you could hear the band that did did the second three albums and and to me that's actually the the that's how I, i look at this band i look at it as one two and three that's the end of that sound, and then *Immortal Tropico*, the spell, and six is the other sound. Um, and, and I, you definitely don't get an album like six if you don't have the two albums that precede it. Uh, I think it's it's got the, it's got a really good sense of atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, I'm hearing, uh, you know, yeah, the Tim Burton thing. I, I can kind of hear that. It's just a lot of it is definitely that, you know, it's it's multi instrumental music that sounds like The Fall. The the season, not the band. Um, yeah, I think uh, all of my steps is like a, a just a perfect just like mix of everything they could do. It's got the like it's got the the drums are moving the song along. It's got like the tango feel of Immortal Tropico. It's got the longing and hauntedness of their early records. And there's some saw winning in it. And of course, there's like a 1922 era p- piano. All My Steps is one of the good, great tracks every little thing kind of reminds me of the police and as much as they're Tom Petty fans, I bet you they're big police fans too. I like it when they go into catchy radio rock mode. I think that's fun. Um, I think a lot of the lyrics on this album have uh, Paul going old Testament. And I always enjoy it when he does that, Uh, you know, heaven and hell obviously, but some of the others is just uh Eric used the word evil. I don't know if evil is particularly what I would use, but it definitely is like uh you know if you open up a bible and then a picture an edward gory drawing falls out of it um i really like six quite a bit and um yeah i think it's a good if you if you only listen to one of the records even though i don't think it's their best one that might be the one that you get the best idea of
2: black rabbit um which would be their last release um and it would only have two new songs um specifically a song called devotions pretty cool little funky space jam and then a bunch of remixes um and they would be they would call it amicably uh they they put they there was an article in um, one of the san diego art newspapers where they just said like you know hey we've Kind of taking this project as far as it can go. We love each other, and we'll hope to make music together later. Um, and yeah, they 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 called it. Um, I don't know if you guys listened to that little that little EP at all.
1: I've listened to all. I, I revisited all their EPs again, including that one. I think that their EPs have some of their like most of their EPs. That music is as good as what's going on in their main albums. Uh, including the black bunny one. But I mean, what's the, is it fish? What's the one with the white cover and the blurred out people and the animals? In oh the,
2: yeah. That, that's much earlier, but that's the, uh, three songs
1: EP. And
2: that's, that, uh, that's that EP
1: one. that's, that is some of their best music. Um, and that one definitely falls into the post-war Baroque Tim Burton <laughs> vibe. But it has the uh, song
2: about, uh, which is like a, um, like a sequel to diamonds in your, in your eyes. It's a, that was a rocker.
1: Mark, what do you think about their EPs in general or any of them? Did you revisit any of them?
0: I mean, outside of in the fish tank, um, I do have the um, the fishing through frozen holes and uh, some of their other EPs. I just I didn't get around to um, uh, really, really visiting a lot of their EPs. Besides that, uh, that last one that they did. What was that? Black or uh, white bunny? Black?
2: Yeah, that's what. Yeah, blood. Yeah, that's what we're talking about.
0: The, yeah that one there's
2: is like two new song, there's like two new songs that are pretty good and then everything else is a remix so you, you kind of get the idea that it was the last bit of Blackheart Procession they would put to tape at least in, until they ever get back together
0: yeah now remind me again what was the name of that song that is just an outright classic is it um, Blank Page or is oh, it Belotion? Yeah, yeah. well, I think it's Blank good. Page yeah. yeah
2: Blank Page is great yeah
0: It's unfortunate because this band is uh, really firing on a lot of creative cylinders. Uh, for them to just hang it up, even though um, they probably weren't just getting rewarded financially for all of their efforts, which is unfortunate because they do are they do really make some great songs. You know,
1: well, I, you could say it's unfortunate, but I think that the density of their discography, the the batting average, is high enough to where. Like when you look at those six albums and all the EP, EPs combined, there's a lot of great music there. Um, I mean, There's enough to where I feel like for the rest of my life, I'll be like, I, I would love for him to release one more album, but uh, I'll be okay with what we right. have. Right. What we got. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it was a window. It was a window of time that, you know, I'll be honest, like I went through some breakups during, you know, the early aughts and, uh, and uh black procession was a perfect soundtrack to that it, you know
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll I'll get it to one of the track by track but uh, the closing track on the uh the immortal tropico that is uh that, that yeah that one was with me a couple of times when i was already uh, sobbing mess due to matters oh, yeah. of art um oh, yeah. live 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 i think they are great live i think the old version of them is great live i think the more modern version of them when they let their hair down and rocked more was even better live. Uh Eric, you already mentioned that we saw the oldest ver- or the older version of them around three, the, the, the great American, yeah. or I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. at yeah. The, 2002
2: uh, in Capitol yeah. garage. Yeah. Okay. We so then the and-
1: three of us, the three of us drove down to see him in San Francisco in what 2005. When, when was that? When do you guys think that was
0: 2002, 2003 ish, I think. Because okay. that's when um Mordell Tropico, I've only seen them twice. And that was when Immortal Tropico was their most current record. Did you see him twice for that album cycle? I did. I did. The first time was impeccable. The second time Paul uh, got into the wine cellar before he came on stage. <laughs> I remember
1: that one. I yeah, could, yeah. I could, I could see that. Uh, yeah. No, I love Paul. I like his whole vibe. I like, like, He, he comes across for one. I like his voice. I like his, just his whole sad bastard. He's like sad, but cool at the same time. But at the same time, he knows he's not cool. Uh, I like his look with the, you know, for many years, it was like the greasy hair slicked back and the glass wearing glasses indoors and the the ruffled suit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He's he's definitely, he actually is like, if you cross Tom Waits with Nick cave, um, yeah, yeah, so we saw we went to that Great American Music Hall show, um, and on the way down there, I don't know this is this is a cosmic stupid thing, but I swear this is how it happened, folks. Uh, we were driving down there, and I started talking about how much I like the Tom Petty song "You Got Lucky." Um, it didn't come on the radio. I was just talking about it, and it's like I've always loved that video. It's a great song. You know it if you hear it. it you got lucky. It's one of their Tom Petty's best songs out of many good songs. And we were talking about it in the car, a bunch of record store nerds. And we see the band that night. And for the encore, they played that song. And this was before set list FM existed. There was no word of mouth telling me that song was part of their set. Uh, the internet was not what the internet is now. I swear to you listeners and friends that when I brought it up that day, I had no idea it was part of their set list. Do you believe me?
2: Oh, it was, it was, that was some like happenstance that was amazing. Like when they, <laughs> when they did that, that's like an all time, like live audience moment where it's like, what?
1: <laughs> but, yeah, it was crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what possessed me to think of that song that day, but they, they, they kept it in their live set forever. Now and, and then knowing that and those later albums, I'm like, Oh, that, you hear some songs, like every little thing. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is a, or even, did you ever wonder? I'm like, yep, yeah, these guys love Tom Petty. Like, when they get upbeat, I can hear it, man. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: yes. Yes. So that,
1: that 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 was fun. I think we saw him twice on that. Did they tour in between? Um, like, did they just yeah. go on tour again? Yeah.
2: Okay. yeah, yeah. I think we saw him twice. I think we saw him three times on a drop go.
1: That sounds about, you know, yeah. this band, uh, part of, you know, the last episode was definitely the Steve and... Uh, Mark reminiscing about being buddies and listening music. For whatever reason, uh, yeah, a flashpoint for Eric and I becoming friends was definitely a love of the uh, black car procession. Um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And drinking cheap rum that my dad brought back from his honeymoon
0: years ago in a, <laughs> in a car in the streets of San Francisco. As we slept in that is night. truly a more del Tropico. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Couple Couple's rum. Yeah.
0: Couple's rum. Actually, yeah, uh, from Jamaica. Label
2: is, the label is two lions having
1: sex. I've got it in my kitchen. I could see it from here. I've kept that bottle for decades. And yeah, I sure. saw him one more time uh, for the sixth six album. My wife and I went and saw him at the bottom of the hill. And uh, I talked to, you know, old Chelsea Wolf was the opener. And then uh, afterwards, I'd, my wife and I talked to Paul outside and just had to tell him how much uh, their, their music meant to us. And that's always fun sometimes when you can talk to somebody who's made a lot of music you like and let them know that it's worth the damn. Oh yeah, Paul um, Paul's
2: been available. Like I remember I talked to him at the Sacramento show. I talked to him at the the first time I saw him at Great American Music Hall. He he makes himself available. He's a yeah, nice
1: guy. I think you know you, you know he's just a nice guy and I think he knows that their style of music. If you you got some super fans, the super fans will let you know. They hey man, thanks. I'm I'm always been a proponent if the if you can meet artists, be it music or comics or I don't know, TV. And you can tell that it doesn't matter how much money they make. I think they always would like to hear that they've made a difference in your life. Um, shake people's hands if you can. So there you go. I think that's it for this episode.
2: Well, almost uh, just really quick to wrap up this one. Um, the uh, We've talked about the three mile py- pilot reunion. Um, in 2017, Blackheart procession reunited play some live shows in europe and also at the casbah which is a san diego club where they got their start um so good to know they're still playing together the dream is alive that they maybe we'll make some new music but we'll see um and uh paul jenkins did do a side project that released two albums called mr tube and the flying objects key band that sometimes like has some like mariachi infused stuff and just a just a general good time. Any thoughts
1: they, on Mr. Tube? Uh I'll go first. I didn't listen to all their stuff but I liked what I heard. Definitely is the funner side of this band. And also uh, if you go google it, they 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 played some Blackheart procession songs live uh, a couple of times with a whole different spin on them nice
0: yeah mr tube it's a good one it uh definitely has some mariachi horns on there um you could tell that uh paul is uh it's his pussifer record if you will if you want to <laughs> equate it to our last record um yeah, but it's good, good. good analogy. it's good i think, it, I think it's better but yes. It is better. But yes. It is him not being so bleak.
2: Yeah, and Paul Paul stays busy. Uh uh the drummer Joe Plummer uh made a solo album and and asked Paul to sing on, on the songs and he did. So there's that. Uh uh you can find some YouTube videos of Paulo Zapali which is his like kind of pirate music, I guess. Uh, also, uh, Paul Jenkins is all over, uh, some Jay Mascus albums. Um, just keeping his foot in that, uh, that kind of indie folk stuff. Um, and I will, uh, I, I
1: haven't heard all that stuff, but I definitely, he's the guy where I, I will hunt down everything he's sung on eventually,
2: right? Right. Um, but yeah, and just, uh, Big part of big part of our lives. Uh, thank thank you guys for uh, actually digging into this history a little bit more than I expected. I I appreciate it. It means a lot to me. And, well, I, I
1: knew uh, there. You know, there's there's history of the music here, but also, you know, when we were younger, decades ago, this was a big friendship band for us. I think it was worth taking sure. the time to go over all their stuff. And I, I think that you know, this is one of the. They're not lesser known but they're not as popular as, or maybe they are lesser known bands we've covered on the show. And I think that anybody should dig into this whole, everything we talked about tonight. I, I think it's, it deserves everybody's time to dig into the, everything surrounding the, the main.
0: And I lost my mind to lose my love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So next episode, Eric is going to take us through track by track on Blackheart Procession's fourth record, which is titled Amor del Tropico. If you happen to subscribe to any of the streaming services, you should be able to find that. If not, YouTube is your friend. So prepare yourself for what we think about Amor del Tropico on our next episode of Pod Like a Hole. And as always, we hope that we brought you closer to a black heart. That's KO-FI
1: forward slash pod like a hole.
0: When we drive. Through the dark to the night when song when I remember these times I try not to cry.